I'm so thankful that we have a God who will never fail us and we can count on that day in and day out. Um, this morning, uh, just to introduce myself, my name is Mark Scopp and I lead our college and young adult ministry here at uh, Calvary Church. We meet every Tuesday night um, and we gather kind of groups of 18 to 30 year olds, college and career um, to worship God, to get into the word, to serve together, to do life together. And so um, that's kind of the role I typically play here. But uh, this morning I have the privilege to open up God's word with you. But before I do, I wanna kind of put us in a scenario here. And this morning, I need your help to, to, I need you to take a minute and ask yourself if you've ever been in this situation. And I, I want to ask this kind of in a delicate way because I, I feel like all of us have kind of been on one end or the other of this. And so the, the thought I want you to take in is, have you ever known somebody who was like a really like godly person? Maybe somebody you even looked up to that failed you. Somebody that you know, maybe it was a pastor. Uh, I mean, in reality, maybe it's me. Um, like maybe it's somebody that's sitting next to you. I don't know what the situation is exactly, but somebody who, who you looked at and said, man, they're, they're a godly person. I trust kind of their advice at that, but like they just, they failed you. They let you down. They, they maybe even led you astray or they hurt you in a way that kind of scarred you. Or have you been a person who has done that to somebody else? Have you been the person who they've looked at and said, man, they were supposed to be a Christian and, and they like, they really, they really hurt me. The way that they handled that situation did not seem like they were trusting God. It seemed like they were kind of doing their own thing there and, and it did not go well. And so as we look at those two options this morning, um, as we kind of take that in mind as we look at the text, because as we read scripture, the appropriate way to read scripture is to look at the text and say, well, what is God saying in the original context here, right? We want to see what is happening in the midst of, of how this is being written in the time period that it's being written so that we can draw out truth. And then we say, what are we taking in this and how is God applying this to my life? And sometimes we write ourselves into the text in ways to kind of put ourselves in this scenario. What would it look like? What would it be like? And in this text, there's three main characters, and we're going to focus on two of them, Abraham and Abimelech. And so Abraham is somebody that we've been talking about for a while. Abimelech is a king in Gerar, and he's actually, I believe he's a Philistine king. And so he's one of these kings in the Bible that we kind of get a snap picture of, but there's not a lot more information on it. And so these two main characters in this text, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 20 today. And in Genesis chapter 20, which in the Pew Bibles is verse, I think it's page 13 or 14. In Genesis chapter 20, there's this really strange story that takes place. And this story kind of, uh, it's kind of just this, one of those weird stories that you read in the Bible and you're kind of like, what was happening here? What were they thinking? And so I'm going to give you a quick overview of this story and try to paint a picture here of what's going on in Genesis chapter 20. Ultimately in Genesis chapter 20, we have Abraham and Sarah who are leaving kind of the land in which Sodom and Gomorrah has taken place in, in chapter 19. And, and they're coming into this new place in Gerar. And, and as they're moving into this land, Abraham kind of leans over to Sarah and says, hey, just pretend you're my sister. I don't want to die. Like, just pretend you're my sister. I don't want the king to attack me. Just, we'll see what happens. 
And ultimately what happens is the king sees Sarah and says, hey, sure, yeah, I'm gonna take her to be uh, part of my family and I'm gonna take her to be my wife. And, and this guy looks probably like he has influence. And so, yeah, that, that seems like a good kind of thing. And, and ultimately right away in verse three, God has to intervene. And God intervenes in the form of a dream to King Abimelech. He comes to Abimelech in this dream and he says something that doesn't really like, we don't often think this about God, but he comes in and he says, hey, you're as good as dead because you've taken a married woman. I don't know about you, but when God comes to you in a dream and says you're as good as dead, it feels a lot more like a nightmare, right? In that moment, like it's like, whoa, wait, wait, hold on. What, what's going on here? And so ultimately, God comes in this dream, and Abimelech is, is bold enough to claim innocence. He's like, wait, 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 would you take out an innocent nation? Like, he said she was his sister. Like, I didn't know. Like, I wasn't aware of this situation beforehand. And God's like, I know. That's why I stopped you from sinning. There's some huge implications there that we'll get into a little bit, but God stops this from happening and kind of awakens Abimelech to the situation and then we see Abimelech in his dream ask God, well, what do I need to do? How do I need to rectify this situation? How do I fix this? And he says, I need you to go to my prophet Abraham and ask him for prayer and he will heal you. So in this crazy scenario, we see that Abimelech rises early in the morning and he goes to Abraham and he basically is like, he's a little bit ticked at this point. He's like, what did you do? What, what in this scenario felt right to you and why did it happen? Why did you bring this on me? And Abraham kind of gives him this lame excuse and he's like, well, she is my sister. She's like my half sister. Like we have the same dad, but not the same mom. And then I left my dad's family, you know, and Biblically's like not buying it. He's like, uh, no. But yet Abimelech goes and he makes restitution he actually gives Abraham a thousand shekels of silver and he gives him cows and he gives him sheep and he gives him male and female servants and he gives him land, pick of, the, pick of the land. He says, you can have any land of mine that you see. You see the choice land, you go and you take it. And so Abraham goes ahead and he prays for him. And it says that the household that had gone barren in the midst of all that had happened was able to have children again. And so I read this whole story and it, it just sounds a little bit crazy. And so we wanna break it down, but we're gonna look at this from two different perspectives. We're gonna be looking at this story from the perspective of the king, Abimelech. And then we're gonna take it from the, the perspective of Abraham and how he's kind of walking through this story, right? So throughout the text, we're gonna be kind of taking these two different men and we're gonna kind of take their perspectives as they walk through this passage in Genesis chapter 20. But before that, I think we have to recognize something that's happening here because we have to ask ourselves, who am I in this story? Who am I in this, in this text, right? And I don't know about you, but I don't often write myself in as the villain. Like anybody read the Bible and be like, yeah, I'm the bad guy here. Like, no, we don't wanna write ourselves in as Pharaoh with Moses, right? We're like, no, I'm more like Moses, right? Like we, we tend to lean towards the hero. But in this case, it doesn't actually seem so clear. And so as we read or kind of react to this story and as we kind of break down this text, I want us to see this main idea. Sin always comes with a cost while obedience always comes with a blessing. 
Sin always comes with a cost and obedience always comes with a blessing. And here's the reality. We don't always see the cost of our sin. We sometimes, it affects the people around us and it affects the things that we're doing, but we don't always see it right away. And the reality is we don't always see right away the blessing of our obedience. Sometimes it's interesting enough to think about the craziness that happens in in this world. And sometimes God chooses not to reveal these things to us right away or sometimes even in our lifetimes. It's interesting, I I had somebody come up to me after the first service and they said, man, somebody from your church came up to me in the store and said that I should come to church this morning. And I was kind of like, well, it's gonna be kind of cold. I don't really know if I wanna wake up and get out of bed. And they're like, you can do it. And they pressed a little harder and the person was like, you know what, I really needed that. And I was here this morning and it was, it was just so good for me to be in this place. And, I, it, and as, I was, as I was thinking through this, I was like, I don't think whoever asked you to church this morning maybe saw you here. They might not know the blessing that you might be getting because of your obedience to follow God here. We don't always get to see everything that goes on, but we can trust that God is faithful in the midst of it. Sin always comes with a cost while obedience always comes with a blessing. My hope is that you're sitting in your chair this morning thinking, I want the blessing. I want the blessing. I want to be in that position of obedience with God so that I can experience the blessing that he has. I'm not sure what that might be, but I I wanna be in that position. So let's break down these two characters and hopefully I can paint a clear picture of how we can faithfully run after God and his blessings. And the thing we need to be reminded of is that God sees our struggle. He sees our struggle. He sees all of it. He sees from the very beginning of Abraham moving into this new land and and giving his wife over to some foreign king to protect himself. He sees King Abimelech in his bed as he's about to sin against his chosen nation. And he says, I'm gonna stop this. He sees everything that's going on. The reality is there's nothing that's outside of God's reach. Verse three, it says this, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman, right? He sees the struggle. He sees what's going on and he takes initiative. God is not a passive God. He doesn't just sit by on the wayside and say like, hmm, let's just see what happens. Let's just play it out. He takes initiative. He steps in and he actually says later on, this is why I kept you from sinning. Because God takes initiative, he steps in and miraculously God reveals himself to Abimelech in a dream. So again, so if we take this from the story of Abimelech, if we're kind of taking it from his perspective, he gets to see God come in and step in in order to not only uphold his promise to Sarah and Abraham, but in order to protect Abimelech from sinning. This is kind of a crazy scenario for Abimelech. Right? This is kind of a, a weird thing that he's kind of walking through because we have to remember our place in history. He doesn't have the Bible, right? We're only like 14 pages in. There's nothing written down yet for him. All he has is divine intervention with God and the prophets. And at this point, God says that Abraham is the prophet and he's not doing so hot, right? So what, God, what he has in this moment is just this, this intervention, this miraculous interaction with God. And so he doesn't have anything else. And sadly, what he does have, godly people around him, and they're, they're failing him in this moment. 
they're failing him. So in this instance, my first reaction is to kind of say, well, what's happening? Man, this doesn't seem fair, right? This doesn't seem fair that God would come to him during a dream and be like, hey, you're basically dead, right? If you touch this one, like you're, there's a death sentence. He's like, I, I didn't even know. Like they said they were brother and sister. Like this, like I didn't know. What do you want me to do about it? And it's interesting the way that he takes this because Proverbs 9:10a says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in this moment, Abimelech has a right fear of the Lord, right? Like he's king. It's just a dream, whatever. I could do whatever I want. He has every right as king of that land to do whatever he wants, but he has a right fear of the Lord that, that sparks in this moment that he's like, okay, uh, what do I need to do? He's taking the advice of the Lord here and he's, he's stepping out and he's saying, all right, God, tell me what I need to do. And Abimelech rightly fears the Lord. And we see a little bit later on that he makes a hundred percent, like a 180 turn in the opposite direction. But now if we take this from Abraham's perspective, on the other hand, he's made a really foolish move here. And here's the thing. Abraham's one of those two-time offenders. He's already done this before. He was in Egypt in Genesis chapter 12, where he again was going into the land and was like, hey, just say that you're my sister. And again, sickness comes on the, the, the house of the Pharaoh and, and God comes to him and says, yeah, it's because you've taken his wife. And he's like, I didn't know. And basically Pharaoh comes back and he's like, just get out of here. Like get out of my land. I don't want you here anymore. So Abraham isn't coming into this and being like, oh, maybe this is what God wants. He knows it's wrong. He knows it's wrong and he does it anyways. Abraham has a major lack of trust that God is going to follow through on his promises to protect him. And I sit here and I think, how often do we do that? How often do we do the same thing? How often do we think, man, I need to take charge of this situation because, you know, I'm just not sure God's going to show up. Like, I need to figure this out. I need to work this out a little bit. I might even bring in a little bit of counsel, but like, I got I to gotta make sure that I do this because God may not show up. He may not intervene here. I'm just not sure God's going to take care of this kind of a situation. Abraham lacks trust. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem so far off from us a lot of times, right? Like, man, you know, I've been looking for a spouse for so many years and, and it just hasn't come. So like, I better kind of take this into my own hands. I better kind of lower my standards. I better just kind of figure out what I need to do. And, and I, I got to just do this. Man, can God really pay this bill? Like I've got credit card debt. Like, I, I, what, I don't think that he, he wants to pay that kind of thing. Like what's going to happen next? I don't know. I better figure something out. Can God really protect my children? If I send them off to this school or if I let them go to this place out of my house or out of my, like, is he really gonna protect them? Can he do that? God not only can, but he does. He not only can, but he does. He sees the struggle and God intervenes. He takes initiative. But are we willing to bless, are we willing to listen? That's the question. Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to follow because often our biggest failure in this scenario is, is our own last of, lack of trust in God's ability to do what he says he will do. It's our own lack of trust and, and really what it comes down to is am I willing to trust what God has said he's willing to do or do I need to do it myself? 
Do I need to take charge? Do I need to make sure that I can step in and I can protect or I can pay it off or I can figure this out? But giving up control not only takes a move of trust, it takes a move of obedience. And here's the thing, we don't, we don't really love obedience a lot of times. We don't really like to obey. We like to be in charge. We like to be in control. We like to do what we want to do. When it, say, when it comes down to, hey, would you just obey? Like, ah, that's for kids. They need to obey me because I'm in charge. We're God's children. We need to obey. Obedience is absolutely crucial. Verse eight through 10, it says this, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials and when he told them what had happened, they were very much afraid. They have a right perspective here. Uh, wait, what? He said what? You did what? Like, okay, uh, he said the whole household? That includes, okay, what? Right? Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things that you should have never, that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was the reason for doing this? So again, from this perspective of Abimelech, Abimelech's situation is revealed to him. And I love his response. It says, early the next morning, he calls in some counsel and then he moves early the next morning. I don't know how early that was. I don't know if it was like he woke up at 5 a.m. or if he woke up in the middle of the night. But early the next morning, he moves to say, something's not right here and I need to figure, like I need to do what God has called me to do here and I need to figure this out. Like God gave me this direction, now let's go, let's move. He gets, he calls over Abraham before he has breakfast and he's like, you need to get down here and you need to explain yourself to me. Right? What did you do? Why did you bring this on my house? And it's interesting because God makes a profound statement that sheds a lot of light into the theology of God's omnipotence and control and sovereignty in our lives. He says, that is why I kept you from sinning. Right? That is why I kept you from sinning. There's something that happens here that God kept Abimelech from sinning against his people. And so Abimelech rises early in the morning and he's like, okay, wait, what's going on? God moves to stop Abimelech's sin. And this has huge implications for how God works and moves in humanity. Because how much sin would happen in this world if God did not step in and stop it? And again, Abimelech has the choice. Do I die at the hand of the father here? Or do I obey and trust that he's gonna, he's gonna figure this out? At the time, Abimelech doesn't even know it's sin, but as soon as he did, he turns and he seeks restitution. He seeks, he seeks to turn and repent. Abraham, on the other hand, Abraham's sitting over here and how often do we know that something is sin and we only continue down the road maybe thinking, ah, nobody will know. Nobody's gonna find out. We're going into a foreign land. Nobody knows us here, right? We're going into this foreign land. Nobody knows us. We're just gonna go in, just say you're my sister. It'll all be fine. God happens to see the situation, right? How often have we cut a quick corner at work or not shared the whole truth with a spouse or a loved one or act selfishly to, to get ahead? Nobody will know. I was... Um, 
my wife and I were super blessed to actually go on vacation a couple weeks ago to Mexico. And it was this amazing vacation that we did not deserve. And, and somebody gifted us part of this vacation and it was just amazing. It was an awesome time away with my wife. And on that vacation, there, uh, this conversation came up between us and we were talking uh, about kind of something random. And, and this thought went through my head of like, man, nobody knows us here. We get to just relax and just kind of let our hair down and like we can, we can just do whatever. It's, we're in Mexico, it's great. And we're sitting at dinner one night and we're, we're talking and I hear this couple next to me and the person says, oh yeah, and their, their last name, they were kind of mentioning it, their, their room and, and they said, oh yeah, Van Dyke. And I was like, that sounds Dutch. Huh, that's weird. Maybe they're from the Netherlands, I don't know, right? And so they say this and I look over and I kind of hear a little conversation and I, and I just, I leaned over and I said, hey, you know, kind of straight, is your, is your last name Dutch? And they're like, oh yeah. I was like, oh, where are you from? Grand Rapids. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Um, my, yeah, and they're like, oh, where are you from? I said, Grand Rapids. And so we get to talking a little bit and they're like, yeah, we're actually from Hudsonville. And I was like, man, that is, that's nuts. We're literally sitting right next to each other, having conversation with our spouse, you know, and right next to us, somebody's from Hudsonville sitting at the table next to us. And so as we start to talk, they're like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I work at this church, Calvary Church uh, off the belt. And they're like, oh yeah, we know Calvary. And she says, I'm the women's ministry director at this church in Hudsonville. Really? That's kind of crazy that we come halfway across the world and we meet people that live 20 minutes down the street and actually know people that we know at back home. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we can get far enough away from God, that he's never gonna really know, that we can do something, that we can just kind of slide it under and get, get by with it. And then God reminds us, no, halfway across the world, I can send you people that are right next to you. Halfway, how, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, you can do something in such secret that nobody will find out. I can come in somebody's dream and reveal things to them to call out your sin. Don't think that you're getting away with this. Maybe you're struggling with what Abraham was struggling with, fear, just fear. Abraham is coming into this new land and guess what he's doing? He's coming in and he's saying, well, what if the king sees you and wants to take you as his wife and he kills me off because I'm your husband? Like, let's just say you're my sister and, and we'll kind of figure this out and see what happens. Well, right away, the king is like, hey, I want her as my wife, I'm gonna take her. Well, she's only your sister, so I'm gonna do that. And really, the interesting thing here is that I, I can't help but think, how often do we bow to the God of comfort and safety so that we can control an outcome? I need to control this outcome. I can't have something bad happen here. So like, I'm gonna control it. I'm gonna do what I need to do because this is gonna be the path of least resistance. This is gonna be what's comfortable. I don't know if you recognize this. This isn't comfortable for anybody but Abraham. Sin always comes with a cost. I don't know what kind of reaction his wife had to this in this moment. I don't know what she's thinking as this king takes her away to be a part of her household. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going through Abimelech's mind when he finds out that this is a married woman. But sin comes with a cost. 
God never told Abraham that his life would be comfortable or cushy. He said, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna make a great nation out of you. Last time I checked, it's really hard to make a great nation out of somebody who's dead, right? Abraham is fearing for his life going into this new place and he's fearing that he is going to die. Just a couple chapters earlier, God says, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you and you are going to have a son. Your wife is going to become pregnant and have a son. He's heard the promises, he's heard what's coming and yet he acts in his own intuition anyways. He doesn't obey what God calls him to do. He's not saying, all right, God, we're entering into this new land. Let's see what you're gonna do here. He says, well, we better, we better kind of sneak in. We better kind of figure this out. How often do we do this? Abraham gives this lame excuse, right? Oh, I was fearful for my life. God had just promised he would give you an heir. That has to happen through you. We've heard it time and time again up to this point, and yet you're still not trusting and Abimelech doesn't really care for Abraham's excuse, but here's the interesting thing about Abimelech. He doesn't let that stop him. He could have done what the, the king in Egypt did. Just get out of here. Take your wife and go. I don't want you a part of my land. Just get out of here. Abimelech is trusting God in this moment because God has said, ask my prophet to pray for you. And so he goes to Abraham and he says, here's a thousand shekels of silver to, to cause restitution between me and your wife and me and you, right? I'm also gonna give you cattle. And I'm gonna give you sheep. I'm gonna give you male and female servants. And then I, I'm gonna give you whatever land you want. You pick the vineyards, you pick the green land, you pick the rivers, like you have whatever you want. Just please pray for me as a man of God, pray for me. Abimelech doesn't really care for the excuse, but he doesn't let that stop him from obeying what God is calling him to do. And how often do we make excuses because we just don't want to obey? We just don't want to stop in our tracks and turn and repent and do what we know we need to do to obey God. We, we, we just want to stay in it and we want to see if we can smooth it over. Seeing God work and do miracles here, that's what's happening. Abimelech gets to see God in a miraculous dream and then he gets to see how God is gonna play this all out. Fortunately for both parties, there's a truth about God. God is always faithful even when others are faithless. Amen. There's this truth that Abimelech actually doesn't even know yet about God. That's gonna, he's gonna see play out. That God is always faithful even when we are faithless. Right. Even when we struggle, even when we, we try to do our own thing, God is faithful. In verse 17 and 18, it says, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So again, from this perspective of Abimelech, we don't know that Abimelech has this vast knowledge of who Abraham is. Like we, he, he's coming into this land. Obviously he doesn't know them, that they're married or anything like that. And so ultimately what he does know is what God tells him in the dream. This is my prophet. Well, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been hurt by somebody who's supposed to be a person of God, this is a scenario that could have hurt, right? Like, whoa, wait, what? The guy who lied to me, the guy who like, is letting me enter into this sin and you're actually having to confront me because of this. So for Abimelech, he's been wronged by the one who should have been the godly influence, the one who should have pointed him towards God. 
But here's the thing. God is faithful even when others fail. I don't know how many times I've talked to people that have interacted in the church and been like, man, this place is full of a bunch of hypocrites of people who sin. Like, I don't want anything to do with it. Like, I've been wronged by people. I've been wronged by pastors. I'm like, I get that. But here's the reality. People will always fail you. God won't. And sometimes we attribute the actions of people to God. And we try to put people in the place of God and we try to put people's faith in the place of God, but we cannot be strayed by people who will fail us because people will fail us. We have to be reminded of God's faithfulness and time and time and time and time again, God is faithful and he's faithful and he's faithful. And so often we look at men, we look at women in our lives and we say, well, they screwed up. That's the times we need to be reminded of when God intervenes and God is faithful. Because even when God steps in in this situation, Abimelech could have gone out to Abraham. He could have kicked him out of the land. He could have done all these things, but Abimelech trusts God. He asks Abraham for prayer and is ultimately acknowledging God's faithfulness. God said that if I asked you to pray for me, you would pray for me and my family, the situation would be fixed. And so I'm gonna trust this guy who, who came to me in a dream. Like I'm gonna trust him and I, I'm gonna, will you pray for me? And Abimelech ultimately trusts God in this and Abraham fleshes it out. Here's the thing. Abimelech gets to experience the blessing now. He gets to experience the blessing here because ultimately he's, he's kind of in this confusing situation, but in his obedience to wake up early in the morning, to go to Abraham, to seek restitution, and then to ask him to pray for him, he gets to experience the blessing of what God has for him. Because obedience always comes with a blessing. You might not see it today, you might not see it tomorrow, but it always comes with a blessing. Because when we're living into God's will, when we're doing what he calls us to do, he says there, it is good. He says he's, he's for us in that. And there's blessing there. His household is healed because he didn't let Abraham's sin get in the way of his trust of God. But from the perspective of Abraham... The crazy thing is he also gets to see God's faithfulness in this moment. His wife is protected in a foreign king's house and his wife is returned to him untouched. He gets to see God's faithfulness and I can't help but think like praise God for that, right? Because as much as I would like to just enter myself into this situation as the hero and think like, well, I'm the man of God. This is like, we all sin, we all have let people down and yet God doesn't say, you know what? Discard, let's just do this again. He says, I'm gonna be faithful even when you're not. I'm gonna come through even when you failed. God doesn't just kind of dismiss Abraham and say, you know what? Man, too long has gone by, too much stuff. Like I'm gonna start a nation out of somebody else. He says, you know what? I, I made you a promise and I'm faithful even when you're not. And so I protected your wife in this situation. And we're gonna see in the next chapter that his word is true. Here's the thing. This had to be humbling for Abimelech to go to Abraham and to ask for prayer and all these kind of things. But I'm sure it was a little embarrassing for Abraham. Right? This king comes to him and says, hey, um, you know that thing that you lied about? Your God came to me in a dream 
And he told me that I need to come to you and ask you to pray for me so that my family can be healed of this thing that you never should have done to me, right? And Abraham, being the man of God, steps up and says, okay, (laughs) I'll pray for you. And he actually follows through on what God asks him to do. And I can't help but think that that had to be a kind of a weird interaction there. But Abraham is seeing Abimelech's obedience and he's seeing God's faithfulness to heal, but he's also seeing God's faithfulness to protect. And so he's reminded, all right, God is faithful even though I screwed up here. I need to pray for this this man and his family. I need to restore what I did through God's power. Sin always comes with a cost and obedience always comes with a blessing. So let me be a little transparent with you this morning. The reality is I would love to sit here and say like, man, I am Obimelech. When I know about my sin, I turn 180 and I always seek restitution. I always confess right away. The reality is I far often more identify with Abraham. Did I get, did I get away with it? Did anybody find out? Did, is it, do, I, do I really have to confess to this? Because maybe nobody's gonna know. And we try to find a way through that doesn't include us obeying God. Why? Well, there's grace. God's faithful, it's okay. But I can't help but wonder what kind of blessing did Abraham miss out on going into the land? If he had said, man, there's a new land over here. Let's go, Sarah. God has promised us his protection. He's promised us plenty. He's promised that he's gonna make a great nation out of us. Let's go into this new land and see what this king offers us. What kind of blessing that could have been to him and his wife? What kind of blessing that could have been to his whole family? What kind of blessing he could have experienced by trusting that God was gonna provide? Instead, he goes in in fear Instead, he goes in and his sin has a cost on the people around him. I don't know about you. I desperately want to experience the blessing of obedience, but sometimes temptation to take the path of least resistance calls really strongly. It does. It calls so strongly. Well, if I just take this into my own hands, if I just kind of figure this out, it seems so simple. And it seems like, well, God doesn't want me to do nothing, so I better do something. When God is saying, well, trusting me is not nothing. Obedience is not nothing. Obedience is where you need to be. And so this morning, I'm not sure what your wake-up moment will be. For Abimelech, it was you're as good as dead. Right? And the reality is, the truth is, without Jesus, we're all dead. And that should be a wake-up call for us. Just that reminder that I'm dead in my trespasses and sin when Jesus comes down and he rescues me and he says, I want a relationship with you. Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to be obedient? Are you willing to, to know that I can handle whatever situation you're put in and I can do it far more efficiently and effectively than you can? Thanks be to God that we don't have to wake up with no options. Jesus has made a way for us to confess and repent and live in the newness of life. 
Acts 3.19 says, confess and repent therefore that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. As followers of Jesus, we get to know that the spirit of God lives within us. And when we feel that tug from the Holy Spirit saying, trust me, obey me, we get to, we get to, we get to step back and say, all right, God, what are you gonna do with my obedience here? What is the blessing you wanna walk me through? Because I don't want to go the opposite direction. I want to follow you. I want to, I want to listen to you. So, so when the Spirit's tugging on you this morning to repent or ask forgiveness or go to that coworker and say, I'm sorry that I was the person that caused you to stumble. I know I did something that was wrong. I need to ask your forgiveness because you don't know what kind of healing that might bring. It's often God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And I think sometimes our kindness to others shows us more of God than we think. Abimelech didn't have the word of God. He didn't have a knowledge of Jesus, but we do. And so we get to respond this morning with that in mind. We get to respond with obedience, trusting that the spirit so that the spirit of the Lord will guide us and direct us and remind us that he is faithful. Let's run after the blessing. Let's run after the obedience that God wants for us so that we can be a people of God that are, are just living in that space, not trying to, to dodge the sins of this world, but seeking the obedience of God and living into his blessing. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.